Welcome to episode 227 of the Rugby League Republic podcast with your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. In this episode, we review the NRLW Grand Final. We celebrate the NRLW M Award winners. We wish Parramatta Eels a happy 75th birthday. And we preview the Easter round in the NRL and much, much more. Join us as we build a rugby league community for all. The Rugby League Republic podcast starts right now. Welcome to episode 227 of the Rugby League Republic podcast, where we aim to bring you the everyday fans' perspective on the greatest game of all, Rugby League. This is Rugby League for the people. I am your co-host, Dr. T. Joining me is Tish. Tish, we are just at the Easter round. We have had a huge season of NRLW behind us. Uh, Normally, this time of year, we're looking forward to the Easter show Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not. I don't think many will be going there anymore this year. Uh, but <laughs> after an incident that, that happened on Monday, well, a couple of things that have happened. And, yeah. You know, for once, rugby league is not in the headlines for the wrong reasons. It's other things. So yeah, it's a topsy turvy world this year. Uh, has been since COVID. But look, Tish, are you pumped for the Easter round of rugby league? And are you pumped for uh, this episode? Yeah. Look, Doctor T. Uh, I am, uh, to be fair, uh, and no offence to anybody uh, that suffers from these conditions, but I feel a little uh, bipolar, right? I know oh, that God. sounds... <laughs> it just, no, I'm not, excited, officially, but, not officially, not officially. Yeah, not officially. I'm just excited about the West Tigers. Well, so not excited about the West Tigers at all. So, uh, you know, dark, dark corners of my mind when I watch them play a bit are coming out right when I watch the West Tigers play, but I am excited about the Easter round because I think it's always a great uh, round of rugby league. And uh, funny enough, I did actually pick up a show bag from the Easter show on Monday, <laughs> right? All right. When one of the incidents has happened, but I wasn't actually at the show. Um, but others were at the show who actually got me the West Tigers um, Easter show bag. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, which has. Uh, like you know, West does it does it have five five captains uh, budgets on it? <laughs> One for each captain that you guys have. Well, what it does have, it has a cap that says uh, West Tigers two thousand and four. So I'm not sure if uh, if they're just recycling merchandise they can sell. Uh, <laughs> but it's kind of interesting. Like, is that is that how many dollars they've got left in their bank account? Maybe. <laughs> Well, apparently they're a rich club, right? So a uh, rich club with no success. But, yeah. But speaking of rich clubs, no, well, with lots of success, doing well this season, but haven't had for a long time, you know, I suppose congratulations are going to be order, in order for Parramatta celebrating their plat- platinum celebration, right? Well, what, well, it's 75th, which uh, – what, what, what is a 75th uh, anniversary? What, what does that uh, – yeah, well, what does well, that give you? Let that me have is, a look. I'm, I'll, I'll Google it right now. Yeah, you, you just—I uh, uh, believe it's a birthday rather than an anniversary, right? Um, oh, yeah, because okay. so yeah, yeah. So so whereas is it like? Do you get like a, a instead of a letter from uh, the Queen? Do you get like a, a text? 
<laughs> saying, well, well done, 25 more years and I'll send you a proper letter with the royal seal on it. Yeah. But for now, you just get a, a, a text or a tweet or a TikTok. Yeah. How about a TikTok from the Queen? That's what you get for 75 years. But, yes, we will be talking about that, obviously. What, what you do get is an exclusive, um, you know, buy-in to a brand-new NFT on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what you get now in, in 2022, right? Which, in 75 years from now, will be worth an, a whole additional $1. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, but obviously, right. yeah, in order to do that, you have to buy it for a million dollars. That's that's the deal. So, look, there you go. Um, look, we've got a lot to get through. So, let's just launch right into it, shall we? Tackle number one, round five NRL review. Here we go. All right. So round five of the NRL had some very, very interesting games. Uh, you were, well, we'll talk about the tips later. You predicted a lot better than I did, but let's just roll through the scores and then we'll um, focus on what are the highlights uh, that, that we want to talk about. So um, firstly, Manly 30-6 to six against Newcastle Knights. That was the lone Thursday night game. Then the Warriors, 25-24 to 24 against the North Queensland Cowboys. Uh, the Roosters, 24-20 to 20 against the Brisbane Broncos. Melbourne, 30-16 to 16 over the Canberra Raiders. The Rabbitohs, 24-12 over the St. George Illawarra Dragons. The Eels, 26-20 to 20 against the Gold Coast Titans. The Sharks doing it very easy. I think the only real blowout, well, there was two blowouts, but there's one of them. The Sharks, 30-4 to four against the Tigers. And well, another blowout was the Panthers, thirty-two to twelve against the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. Um, look, the 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 real standout for me. Uh, oh, and, and let's not forget, obviously, an, another. Well, we'll talk about it in the next uh, section as well. We had the NRLW Grand Final, which we will review. But um, in terms of the NRL, we've uh, yeah, the, I guess the standout from. Uh, well, from a crowd point of view, the biggest attended game was the Roosters and the Broncos match. It was a, a very exciting match to watch. Uh, for my mind, though, I think the highlight for me was, uh, well, obviously the Eels in their 75th uh, birthday week um, put on a pretty good show. Uh, mm. At the end, they kind of let the the Titans get a little bit too close for comfort, but they end up ended up the winners. And so I was I was pretty happy about that. It was really high quality game. Um, I think the I think the Roosters and the Broncos in my mind was probably look to me it felt like it was one of the, the highest quality games that I've seen in terms of uh, just a lot a lot of things happening, a lot of mm. um, uh, a lot of drama. It felt like yeah. a semi final game. You know, you talk it about ga- games during the year that are. You know they they they're pretty good quality. They're they're a step above the regular game, uh, and uh, and there's also a buzz and an excitement. And usually we call those semi-final type games. You know, um, it's got that kind of atmosphere. Not quite the the best of the best games. Uh, you know, not quite Origin type or Grand Final esque kind of games. But yeah, Broncos and Roosters. Um, I think the Broncos would be entitled to feel a little bit unlucky that they they didn't get this one. Um, I think it was a Sam Walker kind of brilliance at the end there that won it for the Roosters. 
Um, but yeah, it could have gone either way. So I think the Broncos, look, they're in the mix. Um, I'm, I'm talking up the Broncos a bit this year compared to last year. I've, I feel that with Adam Reynolds there, they've got a little bit more structure and direction. And I think mm. we saw that they just, what they're lacking, I think, is just a few, a bit better discipline and a bit more of a killer instinct. Um, I think that's mm. the difference. And I think that may come with time. But I think Reynolds is already reaping uh, benefits for them. Tish, what was your highlight of the round? Yeah, well, look, um, I, I agree with you. I, it was a fantastic uh, showcase of rugby league on Friday night. Um, it was, yeah, it was a great game. Like I know, um, you know, I know these two teams are sort of, uh, I suppose, the mid, uh, you know, the mid mid card. But it certainly had a big game experience, right? And I think both these teams are going to be sort of. Uh, probably towards the, you know, teams four to eight fighting for that position um, throughout the whole season. And, um, yeah, I, I kind of agree with you with Brisbane. I think they look a lot better with Adam Reynolds. Um, and I think he is sort of directing and sort of managing the team, making sure there is quality at the finish of their sets, um, that they're always ki- kicking for good field position. And I think they, you know, they do all that stuff really, really well. Um, so I think I think uh, I think they're doing yeah, fantastic, but they you know obviously lost to the Roosters, and I think with the Roosters, I think for most of the game the, the Broncos were on top, um, but the Roosters were able to hang in and then you know score when they needed to score, and then in the end, the last you know ten minutes, Sam Walker, I think he really stepped up as a bit of a finisher. You know, it's kind of like the Tom Brady phenomenon, right? Where you know he was kind of known for sort of pulling it out of nowhere in the last. Um, you know, in the last 10 minutes, you know, in the NFL, well, sort of the last quarter, you know, I could say that, you know, uh, I, I believe that, um, you know, Sam Walker's got the same sort of uh, kind of ability at the moment to try and, you know, really ice the game. He's good at icing the game in the last 10 minutes. Probably doesn't play that, like, he probably has a um, mild-mannered game throughout the rest of the, rest of the, the you know, the whole uh, half, but he must obviously be very fit to be able to, you know, get to the last, you know, uh, sort of, you know, the semi seventieth minute of the game and turn it on. Um, and I think, and I think also, uh, yeah. Now I'm just trying to think of another game that uh, really stood out for me. And I think I was just going to say, yeah, Daily Cherry Evans for Manly Warringah Seagulls. I think, you know, last year the big threat was Tommy Turbo, but I really liked. Uh, uh, Daily DCE's performance for Manly, I felt like he controlled the game a lot with his kicking, um, and I think that that was uh, like the difference between the two teams um, and a real masterclass. And I think I think the teams that have a a good organising half seem to be the ones that are sort of um, you know sort of doing well uh, in the season. Um, so probably my theory at the moment is that you know you've got your three teams: the Panthers, the Eels, and the Storm. Um, and then you've got your bottom three teams in, unfortunately, the Tigers, the Dragons, and the Bulldogs. Um, but everybody else, so the remaining ten teams are fighting for four, well, five positions in the top, in the top, um, you know, uh, in the top eight sort of thing, and they're all very close, you know. So if you have, um, you know, a Broncos play uh, the Titans, it's going to be a close game, you know. If you have um, you know the Roosters play the Rabbitohs. It's going to be a tight game. It's, you know, it's it's uh, you know the Raiders versus one of these teams, the Sharks. It's going to be a close game. Although the Sharks are, are very good as well. Like I know they'll play in the Tigers, but I think um, I think Nico Hines. It, sounds, it looks like he's been half 
back forever, right? Um, who would have thought that he was, you know, off the bench fullback last year for the Storm, and now he's one of the premier halfbacks of the competition. So, yeah, I think you're starting to see the separation between the the good, uh, well, you know, the great teams, the good teams, and uh, the teams that uh, might be looking for a new coach soon. <laughs> Yeah, and I think we, I think it's fair to say that we kind of predicted some of these ones early on. But mm. I think, I think what you're looking for potentially there'll be still a top four that clearly stands out from the rest. And I think, I think possibly the Sharks are going to be that fourth team this year. But it's hard to tell what Manly's going to do. So, uh, yeah, there's a, there's a definitely. I think you're right. I think Penrith, uh, Melbourne, and Parramatta have been consistently the best teams. Uh, I'd probably throw Roosters and Sharks there as maybe fighting for that fourth spot uh, and Manly maybe. So you've got maybe uh, that sort of level of competition there. And then you've got that whole bunch in the middle, uh, the lower middle, I guess, that are fighting for those final couple of spots in the top eight. And and I think that's what you're going to see pan out during the year. Uh, having said that, it is still early stages. So I think, yeah, teams like the Tigers – if they are going to make a change, I'm. I think we we've predicted before that changes need to be made early, especially when you haven't won a, a game in five games and unlikely to win probably this one <laughs> this weekend <laughs> yeah. uh, as well. You might be at zero six, which will be not a good look at all. Uh, and and you know how close have they been to winning any of those games? Realistically, that's that's the thing that they need to worry about. What can they do to get competitive? Um, that's the key thing. So, look, mm. a lot happening this week. Uh, let's launch into the second big thing that happened. Uh, well, I guess it's the main thing that happened, to be honest, but it's our second tackle because we're going to do a bit of a deep dive into the NRLW Grand Final. So here we go with the review of that Grand Final. All right, so the grand final for the NRLW, uh, I think technically called the 2021 season <laughs> to make up for last uh, last year not having had a proper season. Uh, and uh, basically, it was the St. George Illawarra Dragons up against the Sydney Roosters. The Sydney Roosters, a couple of weeks out of the, uh, you know, at the last week, uh, at the last minute, they... They ended up uh, sneaking into the top four um, and then caused a massive boil over by defeating the three-time champion uh, Brisbane Broncos to knock them out and to book a place in the grand final last Sunday at, I think it was Leichhardt Oval, I believe. Um, and obviously the St. George Illawarra Dragons, they they also have some players that have uh, quite a good pedigree uh, we're going to talk about one of them later. That that was uh, an award winner, and uh, and you'll um, yeah that you, you had every right to think that the St George Illawarra Dragons were on fire this year and would be considered favourites as they were. I think in terms of the bookies in this grand final, but unfortunately, after getting that initial try by Madison Bartlett, and in the first minute, <laughs> you know they scored a try. Um, they didn't score at all for the rest of the entire match. It was 4-0 at halftime their way, 
but a three-try romp in the second half by the Roosters. Uh, a try firstly in the 44th minute to Yasmin Meeks, then 10 minutes later to Isabel Kelly, then another 12 minutes later to Olivia Higgins, sealed the deal, and the Roosters ended up winning uh, 14, what was it, 14 points to six. Uh, sorry, sorry. Uh, hang on, I can't count. 16 points to four. Sorry, wrong way around. Um, and and look, it was a an exciting game uh, to watch. I, I managed to catch a bit of it on the radio as well, actually. I was in transit and then saw um, some of the rest of it on TV. And uh, look, you know, in when you look at the stats, it looks like for all money that it was it would have been a really even game, and it was. It felt like a very even game. Um, however, there were some stats that came out that really, uh, you know, well, there's a couple of baffling ones. Let me just say, one is missed tackles. So the the Dragons had a lot more missed tackles than the Roosters, thirty seven for the Dragons and 15 for the Roosters. So that's more than double the amount of missed tackles. So again, they, you talk about defence wins premierships, defence wins a big games, and I think the Roosters proved that. And I think they that's exactly how they got away with the win against the Broncos. It's by just having really solid defence and mounting a comeback, which is exactly what they did in the grand final uh, after being behind at halftime. And the other stat I want to throw at you, which was a bit unusual, is that the the Dragons had an 82% completion rate wow. uh, versus with almost the same number of um, uh, sets of six. Uh, they had 28 out of 34 completions, but the Roosters only managed to complete 23 out of 35. And so with a dismal 65%, Completion rate. So, I guess if if I, and there are other stats as well that you could look into that uh, that show, you know, that paint a picture of uh, of what the game really looked like. But when you look at it, and when you look at the picture that the stats are painting, it tells me once again that really the Roosters girls stood up at when it counted. They backed each other in defence. They were, apart from that first minute lapse of judgment, they were just an impenetrable wall of defence against a team that has been fancied uh, being a very strong attacking team. So, look, it looks like it doesn't matter whether it's the women's game or the men's game. Defence wins big games. Yeah, uh, You don't even need to have good completion rate, Tish, because mm. the Roosters showed that what matters is that you make your tackles, that you don't miss as many as the opposition. And that means that, A, you're you're getting through their defence, but also you're not letting anyone through yours. And so, yeah, uh, a defence, uh, a, a premiership built on defence. Yeah. The Roosters made in premiership. Congratulations to, uh, to all the players involved. Uh, Tish, what were your thoughts on this game? Yeah, well, look, um, I think, uh, you know, a, a kind of a repeat on what we saw that happened in the semifinals where, you know, early on um, the Roosters looked like they were in trouble, looked like they were out of the game, uh, leaked in a, a soft try within the first few minutes after, a, you know, after a massive hit um, by, by one of the Dragons players. And then 
And then, you know, and then you sort of saw the Roosters sort of, you know, win with their defense, as you said. And, you know, it's interesting when we talk about um, completion, we're always talking about, you know, when you have the ball, how, uh, how, how best you attack, right? Or how best you complete. But I think there's, uh, there's the other side of the ball completion too, like your defensive completion, right? How many times can you um, withhold the opposition from scoring, right? Um, and what's your percentage of defensive sets, you know, that you could complete, you know, without any missed tackles and things like that. And I think the Roosters ha- showed so much pride in their defense that they really, you know, was able to win the game. And, you know, it was good. It was great to see two teams that, um, that, you know, it's the first time that a non Brisbane Broncos team won. So that's obviously a big feat. And I think the Roosters a few years ago were favorites to win, um, you know, a grand final and, and they ended up not really doing well. So I think it's good to see that they were finally able to win one. Um, so yeah, and I think it was a really good presentation. It was great to see it at. Uh, I thought the the stadium there was was a really good venue, and I even caught the welcome to country ceremony, which I thought was awesome. Um, you know, Dami M singing the anthem was also very very good. So I thought I thought the whole overall presentation. I mean, yes, it kind of you know it does detract from it because you, you you're playing grand final so early on in the season, and it doesn't really feel like a grand final in that way, but I think it did, uh, I think it did present well. So, you know, I think well done to both teams, but, you know, congratulations to the, you know, the NRLW Roosters team um, for, on their first victory. Absolutely. And it was a super quality game as well. I mean, I think that's the other thing that, that we can mm. take away from that season. If we were to review and recap the entire season, you know, to having a new champion is always good. To have a new champion that is built on uh, their success was built on good defense, but also a really great kind of team uh, team atmosphere that they were able to de- beat the odds. They were the, the underdogs, you know, going into the the semifinals. Um, it's a good sign. It's a good sign for women's rugby league uh, that. That we have, uh, we've had that that shortened as it is season that's yeah. just gone past. And well done to all the winners, uh, and uh, and yeah, we look forward to. I think the next season be- will begin later this year. Again, a very short season, but I think they're going to do it to coincide with the men's season, so that hopefully we'll have the NRLW Grand Final at the same time or on the same day as as a men's Grand Final potentially. I think they did that a while ago, so. Looking forward to that. Let's see what happens. But let's move on to tackle number three, and it's happy 75th birthday, Parramatta Eels. All right. Parramatta Eels have this week celebrated their 75th birthday. Obviously, they were established in 1947, and uh, look, what uh, 75 years they have had. They uh, currently are with four premierships, all of them in the 1980s when I grew up. So, you know, I've, I've been a long-suffering Eels fan ever since then. Um, their history has been a very interesting one. They started off for a very long time as cellar dwellers. You know, they were constant the easy beats they were they hardly had any success early on 
Um, then they started to get some success in the 70s. They, they made appearances in several grand finals, including a famous drawn grand final, which they ended up losing the replay of. Uh, and then in the 80s, it all clicked with Jack Gibson as the coach. The house that Jack built <laughs> began in the 1980s, starting with the three in a row, um, you know, 1981, 82, 83, and then with a couple of years break where the Bulldogs ended up uh, winning their main rivals in the 80s. And then the last victory was in 1986. And then we had, uh, it's been, well, I wouldn't say downhill from there. It's, there's been ups and downs since then. Um, we've had, uh, obviously, we've come close. We've appeared in two other grand finals since 86. Uh, and uh, in I believe it was 2001 was when we had uh, the infamous uh, kind of choke we talk about the Brian Smith uh, kind of choking uh, and, and the team choking with, despite the fact that we're, I wouldn't say raging hot favourites, but they had broken a lot of um, records, uh, offensive records during the year. They were well favoured to play well in this grand final and they were just blown away in the first uh, half by uh, Newcastle Knights led by uh, Andrew Johns at the peak of his powers uh, and unfortunately, they weren't able to catch up. So it ended up being a very high-scoring game and, uh, and and unfortunately, a loss there against the Newcastle Knights. And then you fast forward to 2009 and the famous uh, Jared Hayne era where Jared Hayne, uh, with his sublime skills, uh, managed to claw us from top eight. We went on an unbeaten streak for a long, long time. Uh, ended up all the way to the grand final, unfortunately beaten by a Melbourne Storm side that, uh, you know, they were competitive in that game, but Melbourne was kind of dominant, uh, I would say, for the majority of that match. But had the game gone for, I think, 10 minutes longer, I think the Eels would have overran them. I think they were mounting a bit of a comeback and they were sort of easing into the game. But too little, too late. The Melbourne Storm won that one in 2009. And uh, then... It all happened the year after that. We found out that Melbourne Storm had uh, cheated the salary cap. And unfortunately, despite my calls for the 2009 Premiership to be handed to the Eels, uh, you know, much like Will Smith isn't going to hand back his Oscar, <laughs> I think that was not going to happen. So, you know, if you if you listen to me whinge over the years, that's the reason why I believe that it was a very unfair decision that that uh, we we weren't able to, uh, even by default, sort of suggest that we we could be the champions that year. But at the end of the day, we were not the better team uh, for the whole year. Um, so, and then obviously since then we've had uh, a few ups and downs, and then the Brad Arthur era for the last several years, where we've had. We've come close on occasions. We've been knocked out in straight sets in a couple of years in a row now. But last year, I think we were uh, well. We didn't we didn't get knocked out in straight sets last year, but we did get knocked out by the eventual premiers, the Penrith Panthers, last year. And I think uh, I'm buoyed by the, uh, the the positives that we've seen in the last few years, the experience that they've built over the last couple of years. So Brad Arthur, even though he's inexperienced in grand finals. I think uh, he's as close as we're going to get for quite a while. 
to uh, uh, to a coach that potentially could give us a chance on grand final day. So that's why I'm excited this year, Tish. Um, it is a big, uh, big occasion for the Eels. There's been, as I said, lots of ups and downs. At the moment, I think it's easy to say, or it's fair to say that we are trying to relive our former glory. Um, and with that in mind, uh, well, first I'll hand over to you and just uh, if you could just sort of tell me uh, well, actually, there was something else I was going to say, but I'll, I'll hand over to you if uh, you want to sort of talk about the eels. Um, you know, maybe read your love letter to the eels, their happy birthday. Um, and then I want to get back to something that usually happens on big occasions where we try and piece together who are our favorite, uh, who, who are the greatest players. In this case, I'm going to put together my greatest ever Parramatta eels team. Uh, obviously, of the last 75 years of the entire existence. And uh, I'll, I'll get your thoughts on that too, Tish. But Tish, before I launch into that, is there anything else you wanted to say about the Eels? Yeah, well, look, um, Parramatta, uh, the Eels, they're kind of, I suppose in my fandom, they've always been around. So like, you know, so and probably for your fandom too, right? So um, it, it has been, been, been one of those things. And, um, you know, the very interesting thing about the Parramatta Eels is that they were admitted in 1947, which makes them 75 years. But there was a club in 1908, I believe it was called Cumberland, which oh, was, of course. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't think they played the entire season, um, but there was calls for almost 50 years for this club to be there. Um, and it took, you know, uh, two world wars um, and, and you know, a final submission for them to actually be entered into the uh, into the rugby into the national uh, well to the at that time the New South Wales Rugby League um, to to be uh, to be a part of it sort of thing so which is pretty exciting and I think their admission came in um, November of that year uh, well November the year before so that, that yeah, they, they knew right. that they were they but their first their first game was in 1947 I believe and they, yeah and their first game was in 1947 now they also. Uh, this is it. so. Would it also be because I think Manly Warringah Seagulls? They are also um, seventy-five years. Yeah, ninety four. Oh, are they are they forty-seven or sixty-seven? I'm not sure. Yeah, so I, I believe they were admitted in. Probably the difference is there's a few seasons where the uh, Manly Warringah Seagulls were the Northern Eagles, right? Um, so I don't know of if course. that plays a part uh, in in sort of the countback. And, um, you know, it was interesting as well because I was thinking about it, like West Tigers, because they're an amalgamation club, they they do call it anniversary because it's like the merger of two clubs. Oh, right, yeah. Not <laughs> Whereas, a birthday, yeah. Not yeah, a yeah. birthday, yeah. So, yeah, it's funny how you count these things. But, look, I think always been a great club and always had some great players. What, what I remember is the is the four um, defectors uh, from – the Super oh, League. De- de- defectors, yeah, from Canterbury, yeah. Yeah, so Jim Dimmick, Jason Smith, um, you Dean know. Pay. Dean Pay and, and Jared McCracken. McCracken, yeah, exactly. And uh, another player that always stood out for me as like a, a Parramatta great when I was young, or uh, when I watched Parramatta, I just remember hearing the name all the time. That was Michael Butner. Right. Oh, Michael Butner, yeah. Yeah, so I know I know the nineties were a bit of a lull time for the for the Eels, but they had some they had some players. Uh, like I'd say that they were kind of a unique team. And then the 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 baby, it was like a baby team in two thousand and one, right? Nobody really 
um, is a lot of these players are sort of young rookies and everything like this. And this is the um, Brian Smith. I know he never won a premiership, but he was actually a very brilliant coach. And what he was really good good with was was developing young players. I mean, he did start off as a high school teacher, um, and um, you know had uh, had several. Several times he had won the schoolboys competition, I believe, with um, St Gregory's or or Westfield's Sports, one of those schools, and then he um, then he became an NRL coach. So it's kind of an amazing journey, just like that. But he was great at that team, and you got to remember that was like when you had the, um, you know, the, the you know Nathan Kalis and and sort of um, the Hindmarsh brothers, and you know it was just like it was like the. You know, I, I'd equate it to like the Parramatta team of today. Oh, sorry, the Penrith team of today, where it was just young Parramatta players that were developed through the club um, using their junior nursery and resources. And, you know, they finally all made it together. A few of these players were sort of also country rugby league prospects. Um, and they had a great season. And then they had a great few seasons, but then they sort of dropped off quite suddenly as well. Um, mm. But it was, it was a very exciting time. Um, for, for the Eels. So, yeah, they've always provided great entertainment. Um, and, yeah, they, they probably hold a record as well. Uh, this is the other thing about the Eels um, because I did believe they played in the um, debut NRL game in the Sydney Olympic Park. Um, I believe they were – was it them and Manly that played the very first game? Um, and it was in front of over 100,000 fans. So, um, that's probably one other accolade that they have. So, a few unique things for Parramatta. That's that's all I'd say. But really excited to see uh, whether where uh, who you've got in this uh, this seventy fifth uh, anniversary team, the top the, the you know the, the the top Parramatta players of all time. Yeah. Look, and before I launch into that, you did mention something which I wanted to talk about in terms of the history of the Eels. Of course, we we might be talking about a different team. Uh, because during the Super League war, there were some serious discussions of, of, you know, regarding Parramatta potentially merging with, look, really the, 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 most, uh, the, the most viable and feasible options were two teams. One was the Penrith Panthers. So there was a consideration for a, a super kind of Western Sydney team covering everywhere from Parramatta West to Penrith and Blue Mountains and beyond, and and I think you know the the prospect of a Western Sydney powerhouse team called the Parramatta Panthers is uh, look I, I still think it's a it, it's something that maybe will be considered in future depending on on how finances go and and where the the, the premiership goes that would that would have been a very interesting team, but another team that that I kind of thought would have been ideal would be. Uh, the two teams that I grew up loving and uh, the Eels was one, obviously, but the other one was the Balmain Tigers. Mm. So I actually thought the Parramatta Tigers team, which I think was considered at one point, um, would have been an interesting merger because it would have meant that everywhere from the inner West uh, out to Parramatta and beyond, uh, you know, would have been covered by this team and it would have effectively shut out or, or forced Western suburbs magpies to move on as well as the Canterbury Bankstown Bulldogs. So there was an opportunity there, I think, for a team to, uh, to basically have complete coverage of the geographical heart of Sydney. Um, but it wasn't to be. Uh, and, uh, and as it stands, we have Parramatta Eels uh, retaining their identity 
uh, and uh, continuously for 75 years. And look, the one thing I would say before I launch into my greatest ever team, um, Eels team, is uh, the fact that, yeah, the uh, when you think about great clubs and mascots, you know, you've got Tigers represented all over the place. You've got Bulldogs. You've got all these other things. And, uh, you know, Eagles, um, things like that. But Eels is a rarity. I mean, if you Google Eels, I don't think you will find any other top-grade professional team of any sort that, um, that aside from Parramatta. Um, and so to me, it's like it's, it's a unique selling point. Also, the fact that Eels, you know, the name Parramatta comes from the paramedical people of that area, the Aboriginal peoples of that area, and the name Parramatta actually means, uh, or Barramatical, means uh, the place where the eels lie down. And I've said this before, um, the fact that there's an Aboriginal connection to the name and the mascot is a real unique uh, kind of selling point for this team and really connects it to that area geographically. So I think um, that's part of the reason why I think uh, I really appreciate having a team like the eels in this competition. Um, it's not a it's not a manufacturer manufactured uh, name it's it's not a it's not a weather pattern uh like exi- <laughs> exists in a team in melbourne um it's it's something that actually makes sense and and is something that the community can get behind so without without any further ado let me launch into my greatest ever Paramedic Eels team, and Tish, yeah. I'll get your views at the end of that as well. So, so, so just very quickly on this. So, the third largest yep. uh, rugby league crowd was uh, the NRL double header, which was St. George Illawarra versus Parramatta Eels in 1999 with 104,583. And then the, the Knights played the Seagulls. So, the very first game in uh, Stadium Australia was uh, an Eels versus Dragons game, which is, uh, which is crazy. Was it the uh, so I, I thought I thought actually that was the second game Newcastle Manly was the game, the first one or is that maybe I'm misreading it? Oh, okay. I don't maybe actually I'm remember. I, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, look, yeah, I, I think I was there. <laughs> look, I, <laughs> I, I don't actually remember. I might have to go back into my old uh, memory bank, but yeah, I'm, I'm pretty mm. sure it was the second game. But anyway, um. All right, having said that, let me just launch into the team. And some of these will be pretty obvious because they'll be coming from the 1980s teams uh, and some from before and some from after. So I'll start with the fullback. Obviously, the great Ken Thornett uh, is uh, synonymous with Parramatta, you know, dominated, uh, you know, much earlier than the 80s, but um, a name that needs to be in this team. The wingers, I've put Eric Groth, senior. Um, from the '80s, and Jared Hayne. Now, Jared Hayne could have could have featured as fullback, but he, I think, his contribution to the Eels has been, you know, especially in that 2009 run. Uh, he was really the whole team was built around him, and uh, he contributed a lot to their success. So, I think he has to be named there. The centres, I can't go past the the team from the '80s, the Mick Cronin and Steve Ella. Um, you know, Zip Zip Ella, they used to call him. Uh, he it was just uh, an amazing, you know, you've got a great combination of one is the X Factor, uh, sleeky player with full on, uh, you know, skills and attacking mode, and then you've got the other Mick Cronin who was, you know, a, a tower of strength and defense as well. Uh, and then you've got 
halfback and 5'8". Well, can't go past Brett Kenny as 5'8", and Peter Sterling as halfback. You know, in in years from now, they'll look. We will look back at the greatest teams and the greatest players. And I think a lot of people have been talking about potentially Peter Sterling as being one of those, um, you know, exceptional players that transcends his generation. Uh, there was a thought, I think, for some time that he could be on the list of uh, immortals in terms of, um, uh, you know, the NRL immortals. Um, one of the things that I have to say about Brett Kenny, though, is that um, more than anyone else, I mean, we're talking about Parramatta players, but at state of origin level, he excelled so much that I think he was probably the only 5'8 that Wally Lewis was not able to dominate at that level. And mm-hmm. that's saying something because Wally Lewis, I think even all New South Welshmen would consider him uh, to be probably the greatest state of origin player in his time. And to think that Brett Kenny was a player that, you know, I guess he was the the Nadal to the Fedra, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. There was always one player that um, that 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 is kind of the 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 boogeyman there for for uh, Wally Lewis, and that was Brett Kenny. Um, into the front row, you can't go past Mister Perpetual Motion, Ray Price, who has a who is so synonymous with Parramatta. Uh, and and it's just absolutely uh, so many stories that that um, come out of the Eels and the Bulldogs at that time revolve around Ray Price. Um, you know, a great story that I heard once from someone who was close to the sheds at that time, especially the year that I think there was a year when uh, the Eels uh, trained uh, alongside uh, the Bulldogs at Belmore Oval, I believe. And there was a the the story goes that you know the the trainers and the helpers would bring bags of ice to you know at the end of the game to you know to help players with their knee injuries or whatever. And uh, there was one, one occasion where you know the Eels team had you know say let's just say twenty bags of ice, and eighteen of them were all for Ray Price. <laughs> you know, like it was basically two on his knees, two on his shoulders, all over the place, and and. To me, it was kind of like that story sort of typifies Ray Price and how he was just 100%, you know, body on the line and gives himself uh, completely to the team. Um, and he, he was such an inspirational player. In fact, I, um, I almost would consider naming him as captain of this team, uh, even though there are others there that, that also have uh, have a claim to that. In the second row, I've got um, one of the players of that era, Steve Sharp, who uh, had a big part to play in those grand final winning teams. And also Nathan Highmarsh, so someone who got close, unfortunately didn't quite get there. Uh, but, you know, again, if you could find a post-80s uh, player of, for the Eels that typifies the Eels and bleeds blue and gold more than Nathan Hindmarsh, you'd be... Uh, you're better than I am because I think he is, you know, I know that he's uh, certainly had a presence on social media and sort of uh, television shows as a bit of a comedic foil, but realistically, I think people will know that uh, if you're, if you're fair income about his contribution, he is one of the greats in uh, the Eels history. Um, Props. Well, you can't go past Bob O'Reilly, the great Bob O'Reilly, 
who again had a big part to play in those early wins in grand finals. And Jeff Bugden also had a massive role to play as well. While his brothers were over in the Bulldogs, Mark Bugden, etc. Jeff Bugden was the Eels through and through. Um, and finally, the hooker, Steve Edge. You can't go past Steve Edge. You know, he is, a, I guess, Captain Courageous, but uh, especially for those early wins, had also a part to play in the Dragons uh, story. But um, for my mind, he is the best hooker that the Eels have ever had. And uh, and obviously the, the results speak for themselves. And finally, in reserves, I've got Nathan Kalis, Dick Thornett, Peter Wynn, and I had to put in Paul Taylor. Now, Paul Taylor featured as uh, he's the kind of player that could fit anywhere, almost anywhere in the back line. I think he actually covered for almost every single position at one point. He was... Uh, more well-known for being a kind of a filling fullback, but definitely I've seen him play um, play very well as a backup to Steve uh, Peter Sterling at halfback and and uh, and any other position in the back line as well. And, of course, it goes without saying, coach of the Eels, uh, the coach of the century, probably one of the greatest coaches of mm-hmm. all time, Jack Gibson, has to be the coach of this greatest Eels team. Um and look, some notable mentions, or oh, there's so many notable mentions, but uh, especially from those 80s teams. But, um, you know, there's players like, uh, you know, Michael Butner. you said, like players that have been eels through and through, but never quite reached that level of success, uh, but, but have a part to play in the history uh, of the eels. You know, more recently, you've got players like... Um, yeah, we talked about Jared Hayne. Let's not forget Fui Fui Moi Moi. Moi Moi, yeah, absolutely. Players like that 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 were synonymous. You know, we've hopefully in years to come we'll be talking about Mitchell Moses and Clint Gutherson. Yeah. Um and uh, you know, let's not forget the great Tolson Tollett. Um, you know, <laughs> players like that, Tolson Tollett, Michael Buna, Jason Taylor. Let's not forget Jason Taylor was one of the mm. main reasons why we mm. we uh we almost thrashed all records in the 2001 season, uh, but for that grand final loss to the Knights. Yeah, Jason Taylor as well. So, look, we've we've had some very, very great players uh, running through the, the team. Uh, very, very recently, the story of like a semi-red Radra who mm. came in and he's not there anymore. We've got a few of great Fijian kind of influence there as well with some players, Mike Acevo, et cetera. You know, and so we've got an interesting next chapter in the eels story and i'm very much looking forward to it uh tish i will i've talked too much i'll give you the final word on uh, on the eels before we move on well look it that is a great lineup it's a it's a, like an all-time great lineup and um i did notice that you didn't have any of the current players but um sometimes on these lists um it's best to sort of remember the past but i do believe that probably when we're talking about you know 100th anniversary, you're going to have some of these current players. Because I think that, I mean, even Brad Arthur himself, I know he's not Jack Gibson. Um, he would never be. But, like, he's a great coach, you know, and he's proven that over time. Um, and, yeah, Gutherson, Moses, um, you know, even some of the young players like Brown and stuff like that, I think they're going that, – yeah, they're all headed towards – really good careers and I think that's been uh, Parramatta and you know Parramatta is uh, also another club that um, you know you've mentioned the through and through Parramatta sort of players that sort of done that but they've been a great club for um, 
for, for players that sort of, you know, reprove themselves, get back into the game or, or, or sort of, you know, transition between one club to another. Um, to give you an idea, obviously, like, you know, Blake Ferguson's one that, you know, recently played for the Eels. But, um, you know, Bobby Lindner, for example, um, played yes. for, for Queensland uh, and, you know, made it to the Australian team playing in the Queensland competition. But when he came to Sydney, the first club he played for was the Eels, right? So it was a good transition uh, for him into the New South Wales Rugby League. And, you know, probably the one of the biggest ones is is in 1980, the debut of, the, of, of New South Wales versus Queensland. Where was the Queensland captain Arthur Beaton? Which club was he playing for um, in the Sydney competition? He was playing for Parramatta. That's absolutely right. And look, I have to say there were some omissions and I, I didn't explain why. And, you know, look, if you were to just pick on names, you would put Beaton in, 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 mm. in the team. But unfortunately, he didn't. I mean, he's not well known for his impact at Parramatta. It's more, he's more synonymous with other teams and that's why he didn't get chosen. And and I guess that's, it's the same for those four Canterbury defectors during Super League War. They, 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 they were already well-known superstars when they defected from Canterbury to the Eels. I didn't not pick them because they, they were Canterbury players and Canterbury it was because, quite frankly, there were other players that had more of an impact on on uh, the Eels, I believe. Um, that's not to say that they didn't have an impact. I think, uh, you know, much of the groundwork for that 2001 victory was, uh, I think, shaped by, by those four players. So, um, yeah, yeah. But you're right. There are plenty of players that have used the uh, you know the, their time with the eels as a way to transition into the next stage of their career but the ones that have stuck around mm. the ones that have made the most impact these are the ones that really uh, had that success yeah uh, in the long term and this is why a lot of these have been selected by me as the greatest of all time in yeah. the eels lineup so i'd say the biggest omission from your team is um you couldn't find a spot for tim manor eels thrown through <laughs> Well, yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I couldn't pick everyone. Um, <laughs> okay. Well, he yeah, had a chance I, to play I, for the Tigers, but he he he, uh, he did not. You know, so. I, I got to say, Tish, my my biggest regret, and I I struggled with this, is I couldn't find a place for Lee Odenrein. Uh, oh, do you yes. remember Lee Odenrein, the fastest player in league, mm. who, who beat Martin Fire in a foot race? Do you, yeah. believe, do you remember that? Yeah. Look, I couldn't find a place for him, but you're right. He is a notable omission. Um, you know, there were, and let's not forget that of of almost any team in the NRL, I would put it to you that we could put a Parramatta Eels team together of players that were the greatest characters in the game. Mm. Uh, players that had such character, like a Lee Odom Ryan, mm. like a Tolson Tollett. You know, players yeah. like this Fooey Fooey Moy Moy, players that uh, were really just entertaining, mm. just the way they are. It's a um, it's a, it's a club full of cult heroes, isn't it? It is. It is a little bit. You're it right. Is, you yeah. nailed it. It's a it, cult club. That's what it is. It's it's a it's a cult <laughs> club. It's uh, it's the Utah of uh of of the NRL. <laughs> like, you know, just full of cults. <laughs> Oh goodness me! Okay, look, right. let's look. I I hope that the whatever the case is that the cult leads to an actual results this year. 
because I've been waiting for the cult to actually come to fruition and do something. But yeah, look, anyway, I'll leave it there. Happy birthday, Eel, 75 years. Uh, we're not sure if you're entitled to a, a TikTok or a text message from the Queen in, in anticipation of 100 years. But um, And thank you. I just want to say thank you to all of the players that have just put their hearts and souls and bodies on the line for this team. Uh, you've given Eels fans like myself uh, a lot of joy over the years. So, yeah. Look, and segueing into the tackle four, from joy we go to peril and despair. We're going to talk about your West Tigers, Tish. Tackle number four. Here we go. All right. I thought we'd uh, we'd have a bit of an exploration of a couple of things that have happened this week that have led quite a few people to suggest that the Tigers are completely off the rails and are in peril. One relates to the on-field situation and one relates to off-field situation. In terms of the on-field situation, there's been a lot of speculation about Michael Maguire um, shifting Luke Brooks to 5'8". Luke Brooks has been, look, I think it's fair to say he's been a bit disappointing in uh, at the at the Tigers. Hasn't really been uh, delivering on his promise when you compare him to Mitch Moses, who's who made a move away from the Tigers to the Eels, and over time has just built um, a bit of a good reputation for being the go-to player, and in fact a lot of pressure on him as well. Uh, Luke Brooks hasn't really delivered, and I think. Michael Maguire is starting to realise that he needs to do something with Luke Brooks because I think he's losing confidence and he's losing motivation. And with the return of Jackson Hastings this week at halfback, he's shifted Luke Brooks to 5'8". And that's the on-field, well, the on-field drama, of course. They've won zero from six. And generally when... Sorry, zero from five. um, (laughs) Potentially could be zero from six. I'm not jumping the gun there. If they are zero from six... In uh, by this time next week, what does this mean for Michael Maguire? Uh, let's just start with that first. The on-field dramas, Tish. Okay, is it is it the players that are to blame? What's what's going on? Is it the coach has no clue what to do? What what, what is actually going on here? Okay, okay. Well, look, uh, if if Michael Maguire, you got to remember. Firstly, Michael McGraw is also the uh, international coach for New Zealand, right? And there is no talk of him losing his job for New Zealand, right? Um, he's also a premiership winner in the NRL, plus also a premiership winner club in this in the Super League. Um, also, he was an assistant coach for Craig Bellamy under the Melbourne Storm for a long time. Um, so I don't know if you could necessarily say that he's a bad coach. Um, if anything, you'd say that, he probably knows what he's doing as a coach, so I don't think that is it. I think it's to do with probably the the players themselves, the way they play, the way they interact, um, the fact that we do have five leaders, right, uh, like a leadership group as opposed to one standout leader. Now, that could be because <laughs> Dewey is sort of, um, you know, not doing well. Uh, you know, he, you know, health-wise, is kind of like you know he's got his injury that he's still recovering from, and he would he was our best player last year, even though they gave the award to to Brooks. Uh, um, you know, which I, which I think a lot of people were upset by, and I think I think that the the pressure is always going to be mounting on Luke Brooks, and I think with the player with so much pressure, um, and and a player that really hasn't found. 
I'd say that he's found his feet in the NRL, but he but he hasn't necessarily. I think he himself probably would would admit that you know he would. You know, there's another level that he could play, and and he's shown that at times, and I think he's shown that consistently at, at times as well. But he's just unable to do it at the West Tigers, and it is difficult also for a halfback when your your team is struggling really bad. Um, with him directing the the Tigers are very slow in attack, um, and I know that we're sort of losing. So everybody's like, fix the defense and fix the defense, and I do get that, but you know, it's. When it comes to uh, defense, um, you know, goal line de- uh, like defense and holding the team out and stuff like this, that that is that is one part of it. But the other part of it is is where you actually, um, you know, I think I think the problem comes much later. Like I, th- like for example, if you don't finish your set off properly, and you you know the, your position uh, consistently uh, getting tackled, you know not in their own red zone, but more like, you know, uh, 30 metres out of 40 metres out of 50 metres out, your, or, you know, your defence is already on the back foot. Um, and now you've got to play from the back foot. And, in a, you know, particularly in the current NRL and the way the rules are, if you're always playing uh, defence on the back foot, you are not going to have enough energy to, to really hold out the team for too long because the momentum it's too hard to shift the momentum when you can do that, right? So, so mm. I I think their defensive problems also is to do with you know their their field positioning, um, like where they where they try and finish off their sets, and that does come down to Luke Brooks. I think Luke Brooks himself is probably not a a communicator enough. I think he needs to probably speak up. He probably, um, you know, he's 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 more. I think more of a running instinct player, which in the past would is kind of more of a description of a five eighth anyway. So maybe maybe the the you know the six as opposed to the seven just drops the pressure. Um, he is a very high, high highly paid player in the NRL, and I like for example, like right now, uh, Cameron Munster is sort of. Um, Negotiating for around about a seven hundred and seven hundred to eight hundred and fifty thousand dollars contract with the Melbourne Storm, but he believes he's a million dollar player and and it's kind of stalled. Well, Luke Brooks is guaranteed one point one million for next year, right? And if you compare Cameron Munster to Luke Brooks in terms of who 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 you know, if you you know, but based on what they've achieved in their career, you you would you would think that um, Cameron Munster's Automatically going to be that player, right? So, yeah. So that's where that's where it is. So I think I think where the Tigers are going wrong is is obviously it's all on field. Their attack is too slow, and just their field positioning, like it just it does not give them a chance to 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 actually get into the game. Um, and really, I've got to say, poor decision making, <laughs> right? That, that's probably that's probably the next thing. I mean, like they should have won the game against the Gold Coast, really. Um. They, they were winning with with um, what what um, thirty seconds left, but they made the most silliest decision ever, like to go for the extra points, which which didn't make sense. Um, they do have the eels uh, this week, so you are right. It's not a it's not a simple game for them to win. Um, they've got the Rabbitohs next week, Doctor T. <laughs> right, um, so I don't think that gets any easier for them, right? And um, then after that. <laughs> Right, they, they, you know, that they they play uh, they play the dragons at win, so potentially, um, but if if they don't perform that well there, 
Um, you know, their first game at Leichhardt is actually the 20th of May, which is round 11 <laughs> against the wow. Bulldogs. Okay. So that is probably their best chance of winning is round 11 right now, unless they really pick it up. And, and I think if you compare the way the Bulldogs play to the way the, the Tigers play, they're not a shoe in to win that game either. <laughs> right. Um, you know, who's going to, who's like, who in their team is fast enough to, to, uh, to sort of defend against um, Josh Adekar, for example, you know, um, probably not going to be that easy of a game for them either. Uh, so who in their forward pack can dominate like, um, you know, like the uh, Mr. Barbecue, uh, Paul Vaughan and, um, you know, and uh, <laughs> uh, Tavid Pangai Jr., right? Like, the, <laughs> so, so it really is that. So I'd say that, yeah. Yeah. No, <laughs> they're, they're going to, I think I think the wooden spoon is, is pretty much theirs this season. They're, they're a shoe-in, aren't they? Like, it's, it's really... Round eleven, like that. That's what I could see. That's the. That's why I'm saying, Doctor T. I'm in a very dark place at the moment. I'm going to need some professional help. I think. Like, well, like, Tisha, I think I can help you. Shit. Yeah. Let me let me see if I can help you with some stats because nothing nothing gets uh, <laughs> gets you over the emotion than cold hard facts. Look, let's look at look this year. I know they've haven't won in their first five games, but um, if we look at yeah, there's been a couple of floggings. Um, if we look at how they started, Tigers against the Storm, they were winning 10-4 at halftime mm. and then got blown away four tries, um, you know, or in fact it was within the space of 15 minutes, the Storm scored three tries to to end up winning 26-16. So I think you could argue, you know, that's unfortunate. Um they couldn't, you know, the storm took a while to get into first gear and then and then smash them. The only other team and the other then they got flogged the next week, 26 to 4, by Newcastle. Can't explain that because if you look at Newcastle's performances since then, again, don't know what's been happening. But then they had two close ones against the Warriors, where they lost 16 to 12, and it and they were only uh I think it was 14 to 12 at half time. So they, it was a very low scoring second half there, which is, would have been disappointing, but they were within striking distance for sure. And then you talked about that Titans game where they lost in the most incredible circumstances, an idiotic decision that handed possession back to the Titans at the end. And they scored a miraculous try in what was roundly considered one of the most boring and poor quality games so far this year. Um, and then last week, smashed by the Sharks. And if you think about what we just said about how the Sharks have been, you know, uh, flying under the radar, um, probably in that upper echelon of teams, it's probably not unreasonable to in- expect that, uh, uh, you know, they would be, uh, for a team that's low in confidence, they would be smashed by a team that's high in confidence and an injection of energy that they've had with new signings, the Sharks. Um, and then now they're up against the Eels next week where the Eels only just snuck away from a Titans side that was extremely poor a couple of weeks ago against the Tigers. So you see how, you know, it could end up being that the, this could be the, the the game that the Tigers defeat the Eels and get back onto the, you know, in the winning winning circle. Um, 
when you look at that, it's not that bleak a picture in the first five yeah. games. Um, the, it does look bleak because they got flogged a couple of times. But I think um, I think it's fair to say that if you look at also their roster, I don't think their roster really, uh, you know, really sparks a lot of uh, excitement and confidence that this team is going to be anything above, uh, you know, 10th position, let's just say. Um, when you compare the rosters of other teams, the Tigers probably, you know, could have done better with spending their money. Um, in saying that, though, they did get the the current, I think, man of steel from the UK Super League, Jackson Hastings. And so they probably had a lot of expectations about what a, uh, a good halfback could do. Unfortunately, that's not where they've had issues in the past. I mean, yes, they've had issues with Luke Brooks not being supported in the halves um, and things not coming together for the halves. But they've got other problems. As you said, they've got... They've got a, a attitude problem. They've got a defence problem. They've got an attack problem. They've got all sorts of other problems that it's not just down to not having a halfback. So, yeah, look, um, my, in, at the end of the day, I think uh, on the field and in the coaching box, there there is a lot to be uh, that they need to be accountable for and they need to sort of turn things around quickly and find a way to win. And I think... Part of the issue is they don't have an identity. I mean, similar to the fact that we've had this story about off the field, the West and the Tigers component has uh, has led to a, a muddled kind of identity for this club. And, and you know, where, where's their home? Is it Leichhardt? Is it Campbelltown? Make a decision. You know, you can't be both. And I think they have not really made a decision on that. And I think that comes through in their playing uh, on the field. You know, how could you have five captains? How could anyone think that that is a logical, reasonable thing to do and that that's going to lead to... I mean, we've heard of leadership groups before. That's fine. But you still got to pick a captain. You still need one focal point, one person who can drive the entire team. You can't do that with five, five different people. This isn't like Voltron or Power Rangers, guys, where, you know, power is invested in different components of the whole you need a captain. You need someone who's a strong voice for them and who can direct them on the field. And as I said, I think that's why they appear directionless and without identity and and uh, personality because at the moment they don't have one. And I think that's going to be up to the coach to turn it around. So I, th- I would expect that he's got a couple of weeks to show at least a turnaround in attitude uh, in the team. And if he can't do that, I think he will be potentially very close to being sacked and uh, the the Tigers will be looking elsewhere. Um, But the other thing, Tish, that happened is an off-field incident where I think the CEO was, uh, um, there was a lot of online chatter about the Tigers CEO going on holidays uh, and being on vacation and, and some people thinking, you know, that's not fair. I don't know where you land on this, Tish, but in my view, I think, you know, even CEOs are entitled to have, a, a bit of time, time off with their family. Um, and so I can see that point of view, but I can also see the other point of view where, look, they paid a lot of money to be there and the season is on, um, you know, maybe find a way to go on holiday outside of the season. That's certainly been the the chatter online and the logic uh, and the rationale for either side. Tish, where do you land on that and anything else that I've said? 
Yeah. Well, look, there. I, I believe that some of this is also um, Justin Pascoe's, who is a CEO, some of his relationships he has with the media. Um, there is, like, remember they had the um, they 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 had the West Tigers um, West Tigers sort of documentary series um, last year, uh, Tales from Tiger Town, and apparently he was featured prominently in that, and a lot of people will see that as his way of becoming famous. I think he's been accused of things like that. So I think some of it is just a, a bit of a vendetta. Um, and, and, and like, you know, these days, look, I, I do get it. Look, there is a difference between a face-to-face meet, boardroom meeting, particularly you have to make a decision on a coach, which apparently it's a minute, you know, every week you hear it's a minute with Michael McGuire, it's going to happen two weeks and things like that. So um, having your CEO out of the picture for, for this sort of, um, round is kind of you know doesn't need to make sense the timing seems a little off but um yeah i think i think now we've all learned like we don't really like you know i think i think zoom teams whatever whatever platform you're using um it is a viable option (laughs) you know we don't need to be face to face for everything anymore um so so yeah it's probably more smoke than actual fire if i could say that um, and then, yeah, look, if you do go through the, the five games that you've gone through this season, um, you know, there is obviously the, um, there was one game that um, the NRL robbed the West Tigers on, which is that Warriors game where there was a, a try scored and not even referred um, mm, to the, to the yeah. bunker. And then obviously uh, the, the West Tigers cost. Yes, yeah, so if they won those two games, it would look better. Um, you know, it's it's it, I'm at the point, Dr. T, where I've seen them the, the Tigers perform, they will perform well against the Paramount Eels, right? They'll perform well against the Melbourne Storm. They'll perform well against, um, you know, the top teams. They always seem to have a good effort and everybody says, oh, they're trying and everything like this, right? The problem is they don't show up to the games that they actually have a winnable chance on, right? Like round 25 last year, getting flogged by the Bulldogs, right? Who had like eight players that were going to be replaced, released, um, you know, they don't do that and that's the problem with the Tigers right um if anything I just want them to not even I mean I'm happy for them not to show up against Parramatta right because I don't think even if they play their best I don't think they've got a chance of winning like that's what and I think this is the same thing with Melbourne there's no point in really trying that hard against those teams because they're a team that are not they're not a team consistent enough to try hard every week right they don't have they don't have that ability well they haven't shown that ability. So, first thing is, don't play well against the good teams that you're not going to win. But <laughs> but try your best against the Warriors. You know, like you know, like um, <laughs> you know, like they seem to not, they don't seem to be motivated at the games that they've actually got a chance of winning in. Like, and and I know that sounds like bizarre and, and scary, but you know that's kind of where uh, Manly got their mojo last year. You know, they they. They didn't beat any teams above them, but they beat all the teams below them. Top top scenario. That's where that's how you make it to the top eight, actually. Right. You know, is you win the games that you are expected to win because you play well against those teams. And then who cares if you get flogged by, you know, the big teams? You made it to the top eight, right? I think I think they've got to think like that a little bit, right? Um, because because at the moment they're thinking week to week, let's let's try it out every week. And they're at the mercy of their draw, and uh, and and that is not working. I think they've got to realise, in a month, we're going to play well twice. We're going to play poorly twice. 
So let's pick the games we're going to play poorly on because we probably don't have a good chance of winning them. And then let's pick the games that we really need to lift for and they should be the games that we actually have a viable chance on, right, you know? Um, I think that's that's where they're at and uh, they've got to realise that a little bit um, because, yeah, I think I think what we have seen from the West Tigers and po- probably the reason why they are quite popular is that when it is like a, a big top four, like last year they beat Penrith, for example, <laughs> you know, like I know it was during origin season, but, you know, th- th- they, they, uh, they beat the Premiers, but they lost to the Wooden Spooners. Mm. You know, so I think strategy is like, yeah, maybe just, yeah. Is that Justin Pascoe? Who's responsible for strategy? Do they have a strategist, you know? Uh, well, I think it's a coach. I think ultimately it comes down to the coach. And yeah. And uh, if you're talking about the on-field performances, I think you're right. Look, Tish, maybe here is my suggestion, and I'll leave I'll leave this here as an idea, mm. that if if you were – if I was the coach of the Tigers, and, and I agree with your observation about they seem to be more – uh, ready to play their best when they're up against the, the top teams. They seem to then lose their motivation when they're playing against the bottom teams for some reason, probably because, yeah, they're confidence players and, and you know, it's it's a lot harder to be excited about a game that that's, uh, you know, you might think th- this team is not a challenge for me. So here is what I would suggest. If yeah. I was... If I was Michael Maguire and I needed to turn it around, I would dramatically because really what you want is to put a rocket up the players that are the leaders to actually get them. Like, are they? Would you consider that the leadership group is the best performing of of the playing group? I wouldn't well, think so. No, no. I, I mean, I don't think so at all. Yeah, and I exactly. think that's what is yeah. a real problem. Is that the players that are given leadership roles are not performing. Yeah. The others are performing sporadically and they're not performing as a team. So what I would do, Tish, apart from the usual kind of let's get the defence sorted kind of drills at training, I would actually select almost a B team for those big games where, as you said, you know you're not really going to win anyway. So why not rotate your players and let the at least initially, have your B team play against those players. And by B team, I mean not completely, you know, B team, but have a smattering of your most experienced players and then rest all the others that are not performing and give some young players a go from the lower grades. Uh, and, and, and then uh, have those players that are the name players that are not performing play against the lower teams. With Because I think what that will do is that will set up almost a, a, an incentive that if your highest paid, you know, highest big name players uh, are told that you will only be playing against teams that are bottom half of the draw, and if you want to play against these other teams to challenge yourself – you're going to have to show me in the bottom team games that you can actually perform. I want to see, I'm going to promote the best performing players, but I'm going to give the youngsters a go at the big guns and I'm going to give the old heads a go at plying their trade in uh, in the teams that we're supposed to win, uh, the games that we're supposed to win. Um, so I guess, yeah, what do you think about that as a way to motivate uh, your big name players and to 
also give the young players a bit of a go. What do you think? Yeah, look, I normally, look, I think that's a brilliant idea. I think that's fantastic. I just had a look at the uh, knock-on effects uh, New South Wales Cup ladder and uh, the West, the Western Suburbs Magpies are currently um, currently coming last and, <laughs> and, are, and are 0 from 5 as well. I have not won a game. So the West... Wow, so... <laughs> <laughs> and um and and this still week... I still I think my theory could work. <laughs> yeah, this week they're playing Parramatta as well, so which is uh, which is great. So a bit of a double header. Um and yeah, Ken Marmalo, who was captain against Newcastle, is on the wing for the <laughs> New South Wales Cup, and then um yeah Oliver Gildart's there. So they've they've dropped a few players. So I think they're trying. Uh, the tr- Jack- Jacob Little's in that team today, uh, this week. Tyrone Peachy's in the team as well. So, so yeah, they've dropped a few. They, they, they might be in the in the uh, position of doing that right now. But um, you know what a situation you've got. Um, yeah, y- you're you're zero from five in both. So um, wow, that's terrible. <laughs> that is. That is, this, <laughs> this is rock bottom, isn't it? This is, it is. This is the time where, you know, rock bottom and then, you know, and then, uh, you know, a savior comes along or, you know, you're sort of, you know, this is like, you know, Rocky, you know, in his flat, you know, with no food for his dog, you know what I mean? Like, uh, and he's got to punch, like, punch in the meat bags at, um, yeah, at the, in the cold room, the cool room at the local abattoir. Yeah. Um, look, or another thing is they just should hand the keys to Emilio Estevez to uh, do a mighty ducks on this team. Maybe, yeah. you know, maybe that's what they need. But look, um, <laughs> I think let's leave it there because, uh, look, let's see what happens and whether Michael Maguire's changes to the lineup against the Eels makes a difference. But I really do think they need to think about maybe making it really blatantly obvious that, um, you know, players – need to step up and the leadership group is not stepping up. Um, why are they in a leadership group if they're not leading the way? Uh, that's to me what's happening there. And I think, uh, but also, yeah, they've got, they've got recruitment issues. They need to do what the Bulldogs have done and what the Sharks have done, which is go out there and recruit better players. And, and maybe they just need to up their game in that regard. Um, but anyway, let's move on to our penultimate tackle, tackle number five. And this is about the NRLW Daddy M Awards. Here we go. All right. So this year we've had uh, a joint, for the first time ever, joint winners of the NRLW Daddy M medal. Uh, and the winners are Millie Boyle from the Brisbane Broncos and Emma Tonegato from the St. George Illawarra Dragons. Now, Emma, of course, played in, uh, in has an interesting sort of story. We talked about her last week, how she uh, went to Rugby Union, won a gold medal in, uh, in the, uh, the, the Rugby Sevens. And uh, I think in the 2016 games, uh, and then returned to league last year and has just made uh, a, a huge impact uh, on on the Dragons. Unfortunately, couldn't uh, couldn't lead them to victory in in the grand final. So, uh, but anyway, 
congratulations to both Emma and Millie for jointly winning the uh, the the highest honour, uh, the NRLW Dallium Medal for Best Player of the Year. Um, and uh, the only and, and I guess there's a couple other sort of medals to talk about. Emma Tonegato also won an award for Tackle of the Year for a try saver on Sydney Roosters Jess Sergis. Uh, or Sergis, who, um, yeah, uh, also played pretty well on the on the grand final day, and uh, captain of the year was the Gold Coast Titans skipper Brittany Bradley Natty, and finally Dragons mentor slash coach Jamie Soward won yeah. the coach of the year award. So Jamie Soward, I mean, we've seen him being an analyst on. Um, uh, you know, other uh, you know, on TV, but yeah, winning the coach of the year award, pretty good stuff. Um, Millie and Emma, congratulations. Tish, mm. do you have anything to add? Well, yeah, I mean, you've you've mentioned, um, I just forgot who you mentioned the coach of the year. Um, oh, Jamie Soward, yeah. Jamie Soward, yeah, and I did see uh, some interviews with him, and uh, some of the Dragons players talk about him and all of his rituals and superstitions and, and how seriously he's taking it and how pro- the level of professionalism, you know, for the preparation. So I think it's really good to have, um, you know, players who've played in the top grade becoming coaches um, for the NRLW. Um, and and hopefully we could see some of the, you know, retiring women players over the next few years also get that opportunity too. Um but yeah, I think I think with these awards, seeing the tackles, seeing the professionalism, having their own Dallium awards, their own night, I think is fantastic. So I think I think just well done to the NRLW and everybody that's involved in, in making that happen. And yeah, and all uh, you know, uh, thanks to all the winners. Um, I would like to again, you know, one of these things I stress out. I think we do would like to see this on uh, free to wear television somewhere. You know, make it a big night. You know, um, you know, award ceremonies. They could be spicy sometimes, you know. Um, you know, like we've like we've seen. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it should it should be nice, you know, if if, if we could have it done. But um, you know, I, th- I think the whole uh, NRLW conclusion of the season has been fantastic this year. Yeah, and I'm looking forward to in future years the NRLW Dallium Awards nights, uh, especially the pre awards ceremony red carpet event. Where all the uh, the husbands and boyfriends uh, and partners of uh, of the girls are uh, asked, you know, what are you wearing? Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm wearing Armani suit. Oh, great! That's awesome. Uh, what are you wearing? I'm wearing I'm wearing tracky dacks. <laughs> well done, uh, tracky dacks by Mambo. <laughs> you know, um, look, looking forward to it. Probably not a reversal of roles that we're going to see in future, but um, let's see what happens. And look, let's turn our attention now to the sixth round of the NRL and our tips. Here we go with tackle number six. So last week you had more success than I had, even though neither of us got the winner of the NRLW grand final, um, you ended up getting six out of eight in the NRL. I unfortunately only got four out of eight. So that means you streak ahead to 28 and I'm on 26 to behind you. And we have an interesting lineup for Easter round. 
Um, so, you know, it's not going to be a regular round because I think we find that often the uh, uh, look, maybe, maybe just like, just like a lot of people go away for Easter. I think sometimes some teams fall asleep a little bit during Easter and don't always perform their best. And that gives others the opportunity to sneak in there. So let's see if this round is going to be as predictable as we think. Raiders versus Cowboys on Thursday night. This is going to be an interesting one because both teams have performed up and down. Um, Not an easy one. I'm tipping the Cowboys, though. Yeah, I'm going to tip the Raiders only because it's their home game. Yep, fair enough. Um, Rabbitohs and Bulldogs is a traditional Good Friday clash uh, at Stadium Australia there. Uh, I think the Rabbitohs, despite the fact that they've, uh, they're going to lose Latrell Mitchell in for, uh, through injury for a little while, I think uh, the Rabbitohs are going to win this one. Okay. I've seen so many pictures of dogs in bunny costumes this week, um, which is kind of appropriate <laughs> for Easter. Yeah. So maybe that's what, what they're But I'm tipping the Rabbitohs as well, um, being able to be too strong, even though they're missing Latrell Mitchell for the next uh, little while, which is uh, a bit alarming for them. But yeah. Yeah. The other Friday night game is the Panthers versus the Broncos. I think the Panthers will win this one. Fairly easily. What about you? Yeah, I agree. I think the Panthers are specials for this one, no doubt. Now, in the famous DCE Cup, Manly versus Gold Coast Titans. Obviously, DCE famously backflipped on a contract that he had with the Titans many years ago or several years ago. Um, This one's going to be an interesting one because both teams have shown glimpses of great form and obviously the Titans played pretty well against the Eels, but I'm going to tip the Seagulls for this one. Yeah, this is going to be very exciting. I think that both teams have got really good attacks, but I think I think the Eagles have got too many good plays in key positions to to uh, let this game go. So, yeah, Eels mine on this one. Eagles for me. Seagulls, yep. Uh, the Melbourne Storm and Cronulla Sharks on Saturday is a Saturday main game at 7.30. And Amy Park in Melbourne. I am going to tip an upset and I'm going to tip the Sharks in this one purely because I think they are riding on a bit of a high. And I think all that talk that we've heard with Munster, is he or isn't he going to move on? You know, I think that's destabilizing a little bit to the team. And I think the Sharks will capitalize. So it's time, uh, the Sharks are mine. Yeah, well, this is probably the game of the round, right? This is going to be a great game and it's going to be really close, but I think think I'm going to have to stick with the Storm um, because they seem to be able to win all these really tight ones, um, you know, so I think the, I think, but, but I think that this could be a golden point game for sure. So Storm for mine. All right. Um, Roosters versus Warriors at the Sydney Cricket Ground on Easter Sunday at 2pm. Um, and I think this one is Look, Roosters played well against the Broncos. I think the Warriors actually might upset them. Um, they've got something. In, don't let's not forget. It's it'll be Sean Johnson versus Sam Walker, which will be an epic battle. Mm. But I think Sean Johnson will win this one, and I think I'm waiting for him to reestablish his dominance. And I think this is the time to do it against a well fancied team. Warriors yeah. for mine. I think I think you're right. I think this is could also be a, a great game, uh, great nice close game. Um, 
but I probably trust the Roosters a little bit more than I trust the Warriors right now. So I'd, I'd go the Roosters. All right. Another Sunday game, this time up uh, or down at Wind Stadium mm. in Wollongong, is the Dragons versus the Knights, the Battle of the Steel Cities. Yeah. And uh, very interesting. I mean, I this could go either way because I think the Knights have not, you know, they've shown that they can uh, put on some points. The Dragons, I'm not sure. I had them as as higher up earlier in the year, and I think I'll I think they're going to bounce back. So I think the Dragons are going to win this one. Yeah. Um. Now the the Dragons, I believe, have dropped a few of their key decision making players. So on that note, I'm going to tip the Knights. I think that the yeah the Knights yeah that they, they are also a team. I think yeah both these teams are kind of in the same sort of boat, right? But um. But I just think the Knights, I think with Andrew Johns there, like guiding the halves and Clunes playing against his old club, I think they're going to, I think they're going to dominate. So I, I, I'm going to tip the Knights there. All right. And finally, the Easter Monday clash, uh, I guess we could say traditional. It's been going for a few years yeah. um, against my two favorite teams, the Eels and the Tigers. Uh, look, the Eels at Combank Stadium, by the way, uh, the Eels will win this one very easily, I think. Yeah, I think I think the Eels have already won this game. Um, <laughs> God, don't say that. The, you're putting you're putting a mock on us. We're going to be jinxed for sure. Yeah, I think no. even if you are jinxed, the Tigers will still lose, right? So um... <laughs> that's right. <laughs> the jinx the jinx is only a twenty point advantage. It's not a it's not a given. All right, fair enough. Yeah. So all um, right. So the Eels for yours are locked yeah. and loaded, and that brings us. To the end of this epic episode, mm. the epic Easter edition of the Rugby League Republic. Thanks so much, Tish, for uh, an epic, epic podcast and a lot of good discussion. Hopefully, your Tigers can turn it around. Um, you know, I wouldn't mind if the Eels drop this one if it means the Tigers have a bit of a turnaround because I think we. It's not a good good year when the, the Tigers are down the bottom. I think we want to see them entertain us again like they used to, um, hopefully with Benji's support somehow. But look, <laughs> Tish, that ends our podcast. Yeah. Everyone out there, don't forget to uh, contact us on ourrepublic at gmail.com. Um, check us out on the usual socials, Facebook, Twitter, and uh, on our website, ourrepublic.com. Tish, over to you to wrap this one up. Well, thank you, Dr. T. Another amazing episode, and I'd like to thank everybody for listening. But that's all the time that we have for this edition of the Rugby League Republic. We are your hosts, Tish and Dr. T. Join us next time on the Rugby League Republic. Bye for now.